Hello everyone, I'm Olivia. And I'm Bella. And we're prevention educators for New Directions, the Domestic Violence Shelter, and Rape Crisis Center of Knox County, Ohio. You're listening to Table Talks. We hope that listening to this podcast gives you an inside look into the world of domestic and sexual violence. Throughout this series, you will hear from individuals from all walks of life, from preventionists, advocates, and community partners to survivors themselves. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the podcast. So, Emily, you are the uh, Director of Public Policy for OESV, correct? Correct. Okay. And then Lindsay is the Director of Prevention for New Directions, my supervisor. (laughs) Um, So I'm super happy to have both of you here today. Um, I know you both are very busy, so I appreciate you carving out the time to be here. Um, Before we kind of jump into the questions regarding Aaron's Law, would both of you kind of mind just giving a little bit of a quick synopsis of kind of your roles, both within New Direction and uh, OAESV? Yeah, I can go first. So this is Lindsay, and um, like Bella said, I am the Director of Prevention at New Directions. And my role is to oversee the prevention side of our agency. And that looks like looking at our community training, our school prevention programming, our youth-led council, the Teen Advisory Council, and then our prevention grants that we actually implement. Um, what the unique thing that I bring to the table is that I do have a education background, so I'm able to connect the work that we do at the community level, professional level, and school level to the goals and the objectives of our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, like Bella said, I'm the director of policy at the Ohio Alliance to End Sexual Violence, which is Ohio State Sexual Assault Coalition. In my role, I like to think that I do a lot of different things, but most of what I do is in the public policy realm, working with state and federal elected officials on different pieces of legislation. Fundamentally, it all comes down to what is survivor-centered for folks in Ohio, what is trauma-informed. So trying to advance those two approaches in legislation as much as possible, Mm -hmm. looking for ways that we can protect survivors in the criminal and civil legal systems, looking for promising public health policies and uh, different opportunities to invest in prevention education and other other methods that we know are really promising to both improve our response but also to improve the prevention piece that we always need to be pushing forward. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of what I do in the day-to-day um, I have a background in social work and law, and so I feel like it's a it's a great mirror between um, you know wanting to help populations that need help and also um, knowing about the policy and, and legal side of things. Yeah, definitely important work that you both you both do, um, and I feel like in the realm of like working with like sexual violence, domestic violence, domestic violence agencies. Cause Emily, you had said, I feel like I do a lot of, a lot of different things. I feel like a lot of times we wear a lot of different hats, just kind of like across the board. So that's really cool. Um, and I know that 
it's very important work that you both do as well. Um, so kind of moving into talking about Aaron's Law, can you kind of explain what is Aaron's Law um, and how it came to be? Sure. I will say, you know, we wouldn't have Aaron's Law in Ohio in its current format without a survivor who used her lived experience and continues to use her lived experience as a survivor of child sexual abuse to really push the momentum forward for, you know, evidence-based child sexual abuse prevention education in K-12 schools. Um, Her name is Erin Marin, and she started in Illinois, where she's from. And I believe that Illinois was the first state to pass what has eventually become known as Erin's Law legislation. Um, And I believe now we have close to 38 or 39 states that have passed Erin's Law in its entirety, which is which shows that this is an, an area that um, many states are recognizing is a needed solution to this problem, yeah. um, or at least one one tool in our toolbox toolbox to address this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think a helpful way to think about it when thinking about the need and why Aaron's Law came to be is. Um, when when we've all been in K through 12 settings, if we think back, we've had bus drills, fire drills, tornado drills. Many of us may have attended um, sessions with dare, mm-hmm. uh, sessions about stranger danger with law enforcement. Um, all of these different types of education directed at us in K through 12 settings to prevent some type of behavior, whether it's tobacco or substance use, um, other forms of personal safety. But for most of us, we didn't receive us any education around sexual abuse or healthy relationships, um, especially not on the frequency (laughs) that it needs to be provided, which should be regular frequency, not just one time in your entire K through six period. Um, And so, you know, that's my understanding hearing Aaron Marin talk about the need and how Aaron's law came to be is that it was really born out of Mm -hmm. her experience as a survivor of child sexual abuse and recognizing that she was getting all of these other forms of safety education, but this area was absent. Okay. And so do you have any ideas as to why for so long this area was kind of overlooked when compared to like the areas of substance use and um, all of those different areas? Why, Why do you think like healthy relationship prevention programming is just now kind of becoming that requirement? Well, I have an idea, (laughs) and I'm also happy to hear Lindsay's thought. They might be the same. Um, But I imagine that quite a bit of it has to still do with the stigma around these topics. Mm -hmm. Um, There is still a great deal of stigma in 2023 about um, any form of sexual violence, especially talking about sexual violence with children. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was a large piece of the battle to get Aaron's law passed in Ohio. People were very worried that prevention educators were going to go into schools and use 
approaches and techniques that are not developmentally or age appropriate to talk about sexual abuse in very explicit ways with children, which of course is not best practice. (laughs) It is not what prevention educators would be doing. Um, But I think that's where people's minds were going first Mm -hmm. when they were hearing this type of education. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would definitely agree with you, Emily, like the stigma around it. And when you hear sexual abuse, like as a parent, you don't want to believe that would ever happen to your child. And as a caregiver, you would want to believe that like no one that you've brought into your child's life would ever cause harm or anything like that. So there's also this perception of if we don't talk about it, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then the perception of if we talk about sex at any age, then they're going to engage in unhealthy sexual interactions Mm -hmm. at younger ages. And so, I mean, when you hear the word sex, there is a stigma around it. Like it brings back these memories of like, whether you're in sex ed class or your parents are having a sex conversation with you and this perception of this lived experience that you've had around it, where when you talk with community members and teachers and educators and you explain like, we don't even use the word sex. We're talking at a young age about your body belongs to you. What is your body? how are you in charge of it? How can you utilize your voice to ensure that you're in charge of it? And setting these core foundations that have the opportunity and potential to reduce sexual abuse from occurring, but also have the opportunity and potential to set your young child up to engage in healthy relationships through friendships, through family members, through teammates, through teachers, through coaches, and then eventually a romantic partner. When you really explain that and like get down into and explain that developmentally appropriate, it makes more sense why we are having that. Like when we're talking to kids about alcohol misuse, we are not fearful that we are going to have them turn to a cup of alcohol and start utilizing it at a younger age so that should be the same concept that we enter this with as well Mm -hmm. and I mean I even think back to um when I first started going into schools and things like that and I mean the students would automatically assume we were there to talk about sex ed um or we would have educators who saw the word consent you know as just a, a headline for them to reference going into like an elementary school and it would be like, Oh, I don't know about that. Cause you know, it's little kids. It's like, but we ask for consent every day, whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to do with sex or any sort of physical contact. It could be asking the teacher to go to the restroom. Like it's, it's yeah. very simple. So I, I think it's so interesting that there's kind of these, um, I don't know how to, there are these conversational words, these hot topics where we hear them and our minds automatically go to, sex so I think it's interesting to see how that will maybe shift too and I think also like that's part of the work that we do and Emily is doing is we are bringing this awareness that okay like yeah anytime you hear a word like something else typically like pops in your mind like that's recall for you Mm -hmm. so we're trying to shift that concept in through 
really we're shifting it through an empowerment program of we're empowering these youth at a development appropriate stage and way to then move forward and when you think about like asking for permission like students are asking for permission because they're empowered to ask for control like I like it's as simple as I have to use the restroom I need to use the restroom. Can I go to the restroom? And so the t- child is empowered to ask that question. The t- teacher is then empowering that child by saying, yes, go to the restroom. Take care of your body. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the same concept. Um, and when we break it down to that very basic thing of, okay, it's asking for permission. And explaining it in that way, it makes a lot more sense. And uh, that's the work that we do at the local level is breaking those barriers and utilizing terms that are more relevant mm-hmm. and are more connectable versus terms that like the first recall is a negative such yeah. as consent with facts so we're breaking those barriers down and trying to like break down that stigma but it's through the work that we do and the conversations that we have every day mm-hmm. with these educators and our partners within the local schools and like we've made such leeway and strides in our local schools because we're willing to have those conversations and we are willing to hear from them like what are their needs and their wants for us Um, like if a school is asking us to say permission versus consent we're doing that because we know that's what's best for that school district and we're following their standards and their Mm -hmm. procedures and we know that we're going to make an impact with the student, whether we use the word permission or consent. Yeah. So I guess when talking, because Lindsay, you said the word impact. So when we're talking about the impact that Aaron's Law is going to have, you know, on Knox County, but also as on Ohio as a state, I guess I'll start with you, Emily, as far as the state goes. What do we see that impact of Aaron's Law being on Ohio? I think the simplest answer is we will see. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we have hopes, of course. We hope that this mandate will, at the very least, expand the number of people that are reached by prevention education Yeah. Um, in Ohio and that more children specifically will have access to information about the topics that, that Lindsay just discussed. So, you know, information on healthy relationships, like personal bodily autonomy um, and being able to, to voice those decisions, but also increase the number of adults who are responsible for making sure that children stay safe. Because um, ultimately, adults are the responsible people in this situation. And so it will really depend when we think about the larger impact of Aaron's Law in Ohio. There isn't one specific type of approach that's mandated to take with this education. Mm -hmm. So school districts will be able to choose um, a curriculum or or different options for curricula that meets the requirements of Aaron's Law to implement on that local level. So depending, of course, on the program that's used and how it's provided, I think the impact will will vary depending on that that local level. Um, but of course, you know we're we're hoping to see that 
the intervention programs that schools are choosing will be effective. Mm-hmm. They'll be evidence-based or, or evidence-informed. Um, that there will be buy-in from local school districts because we know that that the buy-in from school districts and the local community is can be just as important as the program that you select to use. Yeah. Because if um, if the education and the information is provided one hour in the classroom and there's no support for it in the local community, yeah. how are those messages being reinforced? Yeah. How exactly. are they, uh, you know, being repetitively brought up to help us, you know, ha- have it sink in mm-hmm. <laughs> to our everyday actions and our behaviors? Yeah. So I think that's, that's just some of the impact that I'm hoping we'll see across Ohio is an expansion of understanding what this means, um, expand the number of people reached. And, you know, I'm excited to hear Lindsay talk a little bit about the impact in Knox County. Yeah, so for the impact in Knox County, we're hoping and we envision that it's really going to support New Direction's overall goal, which is empowering our community with individuals who are engaging in safe, healthy, and respectful relationships. And so we're hoping that that will continue to mm-hmm. utilize that and drive the work that we do within the local school districts. So we are we partner with all of our local school districts as well, and we provide that comprehensive, developing appropriate curriculum in those schools, pre-K through college, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, something that is unique that drives our work that we do is our within our curriculum, we have it where it's meeting the Ohio Department of Education's social-emotional um, content standards to really like explain to our teachers like we're utilizing the ODE standards to help drive the work that we do to help you meet the goals that you need. Uh, and really, it's to establish and maintain healthy relationships with the diverse individuals within your classrooms and through respect, communication, um, listening skills, social interactions, um, conflict resolution. And so through this partnership that we are doing, we're hoping that our schools will lean into us to continue to provide this development appropriate Mm -hmm. curriculum for them to meet the Aaron's Law's expectations. we have it it is evidence-based driven it is development appropriate in the sense that we are really like every grade level is broke down into something unique for them for kindergarten for example we go in we're reading a story and the story is very interactive and the students get asked questions and we're very engaging with our storytelling and then we do a hands-on activity afterwards where they get to take what they've learned from the story and they get to utilize it in this activity and really continue to grow and process how are they going to use those key skills that they learned through that story in their day-to-day lives. So it could be like permission to give someone a high five. It could be talking about themselves as their body and how they view themselves and how their body is unique and they should be proud of who they are. Um, what we do know is that Knox County teachers that we do partner with, they, they like 
I guess is the best word, like they like, they support New Directions prevention work that we're doing. We do teacher evaluations with them and we receive positive feedback. Um, they talk about how they appreciate that it's connected to the ODE content standards. Um, a couple of our teachers have left messages about how they thank us for making sure that our presentations are relevant to the students at their grade levels and we're not coming in and doing a preschool curriculum lesson with a fourth grade class or we're not doing the high school curriculum with a middle school class yeah. and that it is at their levels um, oftentimes we hear from teachers and from students that one week is just not enough we go in for four days um, and the students want more they want us back and the teachers want us back mm -hmm. so those are just some things that we've seen so we know the impact is happening already and we predict that the impact will be greater and continue yeah so. and i feel like it's it's always nice to be able to sit down and kind of give those students space to talk about these topics um and that's why, like, when, when we're in the classroom and we're, you know, running through our group norms and we talk about, you know, no questions, a dumb question, I'm always so glad when they really take the opportunity that we're in there to ask those questions. Because um, they're great questions. And, I mean, they're curious. Youth want to know. They want to learn. And so I always am really happy when I read those post-tests that you're talking about, uh, wanting us to, to come back. It does feel good to read those. Um, but why do you think, and this is a question for both of you, why do you think, given the impact that, you know, Aaron's Law will hopefully have on Knox County, but also at the state level, why do you think Aaron's Law is needed in Ohio? I think it's needed in Ohio because it helps students understand their basic needs that include, like, the safety around them and their social belonging, um, increasing their self-esteem, but empowering them, mm -hmm. empowering them with knowledge and skills. And with it being more than like a one dose and they're getting at a variety of grade levels, there's this reinforcement of being empowered over your body, utilizing the knowledge and the skills that you have to make an impact on their lives and really encouraging them to be themselves mm -hmm. and a safekeeper for themselves. But on the flip side, like it's not just the student's responsibility, which is why I think Aaron's Law is going to be a larger impact, that they're also focusing on the adults in the students' lives mm -hmm. and bringing back the concept that adults are the caregivers and those that provide the safe space for students. So as a caregiver, an adult, a teacher, a parent, we can start that through conversations, um, increasing their, our use and my, like my children's knowledge and skills around that, but also ourselves being aware, recognizing how we can continue to empower them and how we can see the signs, mm -hmm. how we can be vigilant and aware. We can be mindful of those around us and really just create that safe environment for them because it's not on the students. It's on us as adults. Yeah. They're youth, they're children for a reason. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. 
I think, you know, Lindsay, you know, basically said it, but if I can offer, you know, some other information, it would be that child sexual abuse is just a, a vastly underreported, unaddressed issue, not only in Ohio, but in our society at large. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there are any number of figures that I could present on the number of children who will experience sexual abuse before they reach the age of 18. Um, they are staggering numbers, and we know that the vast majority, I think it's close to 90% or over 90% of children who are victims of sexual abuse know the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Um, they know the person who's committed the violence. Um, and prior to Aaron's law passing, in late 2022, there was no law or mandate requiring that any form of sexual violence education be provided to K through 12 students. So there was, this was not a a standard um, that schools had to comply with. Uh, So this gap in education is, is really concerning when we consider that, you know, some of the most recent figures for Ohio is that you know, over 30,000 children are involved in a substantiated case of child abuse or neglect each year. I'm sure that number has has risen. I believe that's a pre-pandemic number. Um, And we know that very few children are able to disclose. So when we think about the number that is substantiated versus unsubstantiated versus not even reported, Mm -hmm. you know, we're looking at a large portion of our population experiencing this problem and not necessarily even having the the tools and the skills to come forward and report to seek out a trusted adult Mm -hmm. and how to do that and to um, be able to counteract some of the messages that they are receiving from an abuser, which typically involves don't tell anybody, this isn't wrong, this is normal. and possibly even threats about what will happen if somebody is told. And so we know that we need to do something. Um, We know that adults are the most important uh, party to be addressing this education Mm -hmm. to, which is, again, I'll echo what Lindsay said. It's why it's so important that adults have a component in this mandate because school personnel identifies I think the the last number is 52% of all identified child abuse cases. Um, So they're overwhelmingly the majority that are identifying the abuse. Um, And it makes sense when we think about it. They they are around children Mm -hmm. for at least, you know, about eight hours a day. And they are, they have relationships with, with their students. You know, they um, know about their students' home life. They know about their students' peer relationships at school. Um, they know about oftentimes their students, you know, how their students are interacting with other professionals mm-hmm. in the school environment. And so they're hearing lots of this information. Um, but I would say I don't know that comprehensively all school personnel in Ohio is receiving the support and the education they need mm-hmm. to identify and support students and also to connect them to resources and to follow the procedures that they need to be following. So, you know, I think it, it will help students have this really fundamental education that Mm -hmm. hopefully 
could prevent some abuse from happening, but we know it's not on the child to prevent abuse um, through their behavior. Mm-hmm. But I think my main hope is that it really provides school personnel with the tools they need to yeah. be supportive to the school population. Yeah. And I feel like it's so much, I feel like it makes our job so much easier when everybody's kind of feeling supported and everybody's kind of getting similar similar information, right? Students are learning this comprehensive uh, education, you know, educators are hopefully gaining information, education, so they're better able to support their students. Um, that information will hopefully get back to parents, what the students are learning, they're able to support their youth. So I'm hoping just kind of based on what we've talked about that, you know, it just kind of becomes a whole system of support and education and that people just continue learning. Um, I think that's really important. But I know we only have about five-ish minutes left on here. So just really quickly, um, if someone wouldn't mind kind of just briefly talking about what can parents expect? I know maybe some parents, like we talked about in the beginning, may be hearing, oh my gosh, mandated healthy education for my kindergartner. <laughs> um, I'm nervous about that. So like, what, what can they expect from, from your perspective to maybe calm those nerves a little bit? Um, I can share it from a new direction standpoint. So our local parents, what they can expect is if we are coming into their students' classroom or a teacher is reaching out to us that they will receive communication from New Directions. Uh, We, as New Direction Prevention staff, we do communicate with the teachers prior and ask teachers to communicate with the parents about like what we're coming into the classroom and talking about in the resources that we're utilizing. Because we do want parents to be informed of what is happening in the classroom uh, and we want to support the school districts open door communication with parents about what is happening. So that is one thing that parents can look forward to. Another thing is parents can always like call the schools and ask questions Mm -hmm. about what their school district is going to do or planning to do to implement Aaron's law and how it will look and impact. I think getting that information from a school district is really important because they're hearing it from the direct individuals um, that are going to be ultimately implementing the plan that they put into place for that. So that's a few things locally. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Emily, do you have anything you want to add? You know, I think a lot of the information that we've talked about today, I imagine is is reassuring to parents Mm -hmm. and guardians and folks that have little ones. Um, Just getting more transparency on what this type of education involves. Because when when you've heard myself and Lindsay talk about it, it it is developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. It is fundamental education that you are likely as a parent or caregiver already providing to your children in some way about how they should be navigating personal relationships, how they should be navigating bodily autonomy and bodily safety, but it's important to keep in mind that not every child is receiving that information at home or from a parent or caregiver, and this 
you know, in a way kind of creates an opportunity for some more equity and, you know, what, what children are receiving across the board. Um, I will note just for some peace of mind, Aaron's law requirements do include that each public school notifies parents and guardians who receive, um, of, of students who receive any education relating to dating violence which is a previous mandate, and now this um, sexual violence prevention education. So parents will receive a written notice that this is required curriculum, mm-hmm. um, that they can examine the instructional materials upon request, and um, that if they would like to exempt their student from the education, they can submit a written request. Okay. Um, so those options are available, Yeah. just like with other forms of, of prevention education or um health-related education. Um, So those options exist. Awesome. And I I feel like that really will give people a peace of mind, just knowing that if there's anything in in there that they are uncomfortable with, it's not like we're forcing them to put their child through this program. Um, They can always opt out if need be. But I do want to take what little time we have left and just thank you both uh, for taking the time and Also, I think just like seeing the value in legislation like this, I'm really excited to see, like as someone who's in the schools, I'm really excited to see um, just how this all comes to fruition and and what kind of changes begin happening. So I just want to include a quick, um, sincere thank you to New Directions because the amazing work that you're doing in the community providing, you know, basically pre-K through college, like you said, mm-hmm. really helped us illustrate a lot of this to legislators um, to help get Aaron's Law across the finish line. So we're, we're very appreciative. Thank you. Well, thank you. We really appreciate that.